Let's turn then to Luke. Luke chapter 9 is where the Lord has directed us for the message today. Luke chapter 9, a lengthy chapter, but we will only consider uh, the final section of verses beginning in verse 57. So Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57. There are going to be three men that we read about here. Three men that appear to fall short of following the Lord. Appear to come just shy of becoming and continuing a life of discipleship and a following of Jesus Christ. And they each have their own challenge. Only one of these three do we read Jesus particularly calling to be his follower. The other two perhaps are responding to a global call maybe that they had heard and and maybe they had heard from Jesus prior. The scripture here does not tell us, but two of these three coming to the Lord and expressing a willingness to follow him, but by the context and by reading between the lines, as we might say, we realize that they come short of following the Lord Jesus Christ. All three of these men had a degree of willingness. They had a degree of interest. They, there was something about Jesus that stood out to them that made them consider that they might indeed follow him. But all three seemed to come short and for different reasons. Let's read together, beginning in verse 57, as they were going along the road, that is the disciples and Jesus, someone said to him, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. If we had a title today for the message, it would be eager but ignorant, called but hesitant, and willing but uncommitted. A long title, I know, but eager but ignorant, this first man, called but hesitant, this second man, and willing but uncommitted, that third man that we read of. All three of these men, as we have said, will apparently come short of following the Lord. As close to him physically as anyone could be. Close enough that they had a conversation with him. Close enough that they'd heard what he'd said and taught and seen his miracles, saw the others that were following him, looked and saw Peter and James and John and Mary and Martha and the others. No doubt that 
through his life had followed him, and these three men saw all of that, could have become followers of Christ, could have become disciples of Christ, and yet apparently none of them do. Proximity to Jesus does not guarantee discipleship. Proximity to Christianity does not make one a Christian. It is the forsaking of all and following Christ that makes an individual a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no shortcut. There is no way to uh, skip the line. There is no way to hold on to the world and grab on to Christ at the same time. These three men are obvious and clear examples of the truth of this. And I wonder today if there are any here, and I think some of these lessons can apply to the lost and the saved, but I wonder if there's anyone here that can identify with one or more of these men close to following the Lord, but falling just short wanting and desiring on one hand to do so and yet something prevents and keeps us or you from truly following the lord truly becoming and continuing and walking in life as a follower of jesus christ in our nation we are just beginning to see the unpopularity and the the potential persecution and the ridicule and the ostracization that will come with following Christ. We're, we're just beginning to see what most of our spiritual ancestors saw much more clearly than we do, and that is that this world is at enmity with God, enmity against Him, and are struggling against Him. Let's look together at this first man, this man who was eager we might say, but ignorant. Again, he had seen the power and authority and popularity of Christ. He had seen, or at least he had heard, no doubt, of the power of Jesus to heal. He had seen, perhaps, or heard Jesus give sight to the blind, give a work a miracle for a a lame man at the pool of Bethesda to stand up and walk. He had seen again, or at least heard, of Jesus' power to calm the storm itself, to control the weather. He had seen or heard of Jesus' miraculous feeding of the 5,000 and the multitude even that shortly in, in Luke we had just read about prior to this. He had seen all that, he had, or he had at least had heard about it, and he had seen or heard the power and the uniqueness of Jesus' teaching. Do you remember how the people responded in the early days when Jesus began to teach and to preach and to proclaim the kingdom of God? Do you remember one of the things that they said? It said that they went away and they were astounded at his teaching. And it said very specifically in the Word of God that they saw Jesus as somebody who taught not like the scribes and the Pharisees. He was not like any other preacher or teacher that they had heard. And I remember when I was 11 years old and the Spirit of God took the Word of God and planted it into my heart. And that preacher that day, being used as a vessel of God and the Spirit, 
to convict my heart, that became a day very different. And the teaching and the understanding that I came to that day was very different and markedly different from any other preaching and sermon I had heard all of my life long, and I had heard many. This man had heard Jesus teach, and he could tell there was something unique and special and powerful about his teaching. And he was, in his own mind, ready to follow. He thought. He was eager, but ignorant. He was eager, but he was not fully aware of the call of Christ on the life. He was perhaps one like so many today who are not challenged with the actual call of Christ to salvation, to forsake all and follow Him. He was like perhaps so many who thought he could follow Jesus and have this world too. He appears to be ignorant of what it truly means and what it truly would mean for him to follow Christ. Jesus' true followers knew the call of Christ was to forsake all and follow Jesus. We must remember that when Jesus said to follow me, you must forsake all, he was not being poetic, he was not being hyperbole, it was not that that he was using, he was not exaggerating, he was not just trying to impress people, he was telling us the truth. To be a follower of Christ in this life, in this world, is to follow Christ to the exclusion of all other things. This man's view, though, seems to have been distorted by his ignorance of that call. Jesus said in John six twenty six, Truly, truly, I say to you, these to the people that he, was, that he had fed and that they had followed him the day after, they were seeking him, those, that multitude who had been fed miraculously by him, and they came to him and they said, we have been looking for you. And Jesus says to them, truly, truly I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're following me because you believe it is somehow a path to success and prosperity and provision in this life. But once again, to follow Christ is to forsake everything in this world. Everything. Mother, daughter, father, son, money, provision, uh, 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 ease, comfort, leisure, you name it. It is to forsake all. And follow Christ. If you would follow Christ in this world, you must be prepared to follow Him out of it as well. If you are to follow Christ in this life, in this world, in these days, you must be prepared to follow Him out of all of those things. This is a, the clear testimony of Scripture. This is 
the clear teaching and doctrine of the Word of God on the matter of discipleship. Though again in our day, many remain ignorant of the call, that it, what it really is, even if they might demonstrate an eagerness to some degree or another. Some degree of eagerness to follow Christ in times of convenience or ease and prosperity. The clear teaching of Scripture, though, tells us again and again of what, that the call of Christ is to leave everything in Luke 5.11. I believe Peter, James, and John, when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed Him. They left everything and followed Him. In verse 27 of Luke chapter 5, reading about Matthew, it says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and He said to him, Follow Me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. If you would follow Christ, you must leave everything. You must let go of everything else in order to follow him. This is the call of God. Linsky says about this man in this passage the following. He is an idealist enthusiastic, and of sanguine temperament. He is superficial and does not count the cost. He sees the soldiers on parade, he, the fine uniforms and the glittering arms, and is eager to join, but forgets the exhausting marches, the bloody battles, the graves, and the and graves perhaps unmarked. And Linsky concludes by saying this, it is less cruel to disillusion such a man than to let him rush in and go down in disappointment. This is the choice that every preacher has and everyone who would share the gospel message with friends or family or stranger. You must lay down the gospel call as Jesus gave it, which is you must leave everything. Jesus' words here as He responds to this man who was eager here, but obviously ignorant of something that Jesus was going to prompt him with. Jesus' words are meant to dispel the man's ignorance. It, it was meant to awaken him and shake him to the truth. I am continually Amazed, it continues to catch my attention in the scripture, though, of the way Jesus gathered followers. In our world of social media, it's all about followers. Click a button and I can follow that one. And every influencer on the internet who wants to become an influencer, it's all about how many subscribers, how many followers, how many likes that you have. The more followers, the better. Whether they're sincere or whether they're not, it doesn't matter as long as they're following me. And the idea is the more followers a person has, the more influence they believe they possess. It is always striking to me, though, how Jesus goes about this in quite the opposite way. 
always catches my attention to see how Jesus seems to go out of his way to discourage people at times from following him. That's kind of can be one way that we read this. Jesus almost discouraging this man. At the very moment when it appears that this man would follow him and Jesus could capitalize and say, great, wonderful, come along. Far too many preachers and far too many people today are willing to not dispel this man's ignorance and charge him and challenge him with the truth of what the call of God is in Christ, which is to forsake all to follow Jesus. Jesus, though, does. Jesus loves you too much to withhold from you the truth of the call. He loves you too much to allow you to hold on to this temporary doomed world. He will not let you follow him with half a heart. He will not do you the disservice to let you think that you can find fulfillment and happiness and contentment in this world and hang on to him at the same time. That somehow you can create this world this world's pleasure and mix it with coming to church on Sunday and having your conscience soothed. And yet you know, you know in your heart that you're not ultimately sold out in your life to follow Christ to the exclusion of all other things. And Jesus talks about these people in Matthew chapter 7 when he says to them, I never knew you. Sure, you came to me one day and said, Lord, I'll follow you. Wherever you go, Lord, I'll follow you. But there was an ignorance in your declaration. An ignorance that you did not wrestle with and deal with to say you must lay down everything else in order to come after him. Jesus will settle for nothing less than this understanding in his followers. He refuses to withhold the whole truth from anyone who would come after him. He will not hide it from you. Would you follow me? then you must forsake all. Not almost all, but all. This eager but ignorant man comes to Christ and says these noble words. I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus coming to him again and says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. I don't have anywhere in this life to call my home. If you follow Christ, the whole truth of following Christ, you will have, you too will have no home in this life, just temporary dwelling places. If you are to follow Christ, you will have no home here. Your home is in heaven. Your 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 leader, your Lord, your God is Jesus Christ. You will have no home here if you follow Christ. If you, ha- if you follow Christ, you will have few, if any, creature comforts. At least you shouldn't expect them. If you follow Christ, you will not enjoy worldly 
popularity. If you follow Christ, you will not enjoy worldly acceptance. We've got, we need no more proof of that than the reality that they put Jesus Himself on a cross. We did. Men just like you and women just like you and me crying out, crucify Him. If you follow Christ, you will not enjoy this world's acceptance or pleasure. If you would follow Christ, your life will often be more difficult than it would otherwise be. And this man comes to Christ and Jesus apparently here. If we have the right read on him, and I recognize and acknowledge that there are a couple of ways perhaps to look at this passage. But if we have the right read, the right measure of this man, according to what Jesus says, there was something missing in his commitment. Something missing in his understanding. Something missing. Just come here, sign the card, check the box, come to church on Sunday. Just give God a little bit of you. He loves you so much that you can just follow him a little bit. Give him kind of your tacit obedience. Want to, at least in some respect, and that's all that God cares about, and it's clearly not. Following the Lord in this life will often be more difficult than it otherwise would be. A cold, hard, sobering truth here, but true nonetheless. Jesus knew that. And looking at this man who came up to him and said, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go, Jesus knew where he was going. And looks him in the eye and he says, I don't have a home here. And he says to him in so many words, to follow me is to leave everything. There are going to be times, if you are a follower of Christ here today, if you do know him and you have committed to him and he has saved you and he has planted within you a new heart and a new soul that, that desires to please him, a new mind, There are going to be times on your journey of following Christ from one place to another in this world when it is going to be far, far easier to just give up and stop following. There are going to be times in your life when that's going to be the easiest thing for this carnal mind and flesh to do. It's going to be a lot harder in those times and Jesus knows that. And so he calls from the beginning. The Lord's plan of salvation is not a bait and switch marketing scheme. You know how they'll do that. Marketers will promise one thing, get you to come in and talk and spend some money, and they give you not what they promised, but something less. This is not what Jesus does in salvation. He tells you from the get-go what it takes. A forsaking of all other things in following Christ. You know, some wonder at this passage. Some wonder at it, wishing, hoping, and trying to understand why it has to be this way. Don't people wonder that? Don't people 
when they read this section of Scripture, maybe even you at times, you're alone in your home and you're reading this passage or you're thinking about following the Lord and maybe you've not yet committed and you've not yet repented and believed and you're not yet saved. Maybe you can think to yourself, why does it have to be this way? Why isn't it enough for this man to say, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go? Why did Jesus have to throw cold water on this man at this particular time? Why didn't he just embrace him in a hug and say, that is wonderful, come and be with me? Why did he come here and in this moment of stark reality present to this man the truth of what he was actually saying? Why does it have to be this way? People ask, why can't I follow Christ without having to give up so much of my life? Why can't I have Jesus and the world? They say, didn't Jesus come to make my life better here? That's what so many preachers seem to be saying. Why does it have to be this way? Here's the answer. To follow Christ is to see this world for what it is, a temporary fallen, and hopeless place. Why does it have to be this way? Because Jesus is trying to save you from eternal separation from Him. And that cannot be done with half your heart. It must be done with all of your heart. And we also know, do you remember how this passage that we read today began? Why does it have to be this way? Remember the beginning of our scripture as they were going along the road? The road to where? They were traveling somewhere. They were walking to a destination. This, these conversations with these three men happened in the next two I have less to say about, so don't get too concerned about time yet. As they were going down the road, these conversations happened. This road that they were traveling was the road to Jerusalem. And it would end at Calvary for our Lord. It would end in betrayal, in rejection, in humiliation, and in his death on a cross. It was going to end this road that they were traveling. It was going to end in the place where this man, Jesus, would lay down his life as the Lamb of God who took upon himself the wrath of God against sin. And I will tell you this, God did not pour out half of his wrath on Christ. He poured out all of it. And Jesus says to you and to me, I do not call for your half-hearted or ignorant obedience. I am calling for all of you, all of your heart to follow me. This is the man we follow. This is the Jesus that this one claimed to be ready to follow. This is the man you claim to follow if you claim to be Christian. This one who walked this road and met you along the way and perhaps even bid you to come with Him. And if you are His, indeed, He did. Matthew 10, 25. 
reminds us again of why it has to be this way. Why it is for the Christian a full-throated, completely committed, aware and informed following of Christ. Matthew 10, 25, Jesus says, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Now, why am I telling you this today? Why? Why? What is the message here? The message is this about this man, eager but ignorant. With Christ, as with Christ, Christ desires for you to follow him with a whole heart. And I pray today that that is what you desire to do as well. And are you, as we leave this man and address briefly the following two, are you a follower of Christ like this man might have been eager on one hand, but not ready to truly lay everything down and follow him, not really considering, not really knowing what it means to forsake all and follow Christ. The second man is called, but he's hesitant. He's called to follow. Jesus himself calls him to follow him. Follow me, he says. A man who knew what it was to hear the call of Jesus to follow him. This first man appears to have perhaps taken it upon himself to announce to Jesus that he would follow him. But this man has a direct call from Christ. So this is the most important moment of this man's life and eternity. When Jesus calls to him, follow me, it is we have just read about one fellow human being's most important moment in his life. At least we can say the most important of his moments if there were multiple times that Jesus called him. But at this moment... When Jesus says, follow me, it's the most important moment of his life and it's the most important moment of yours as well. When Jesus says to you through his word and more importantly and directly, the Holy Spirit of God grabs a hold of your heart and he says, maybe not in these words and not audibly, but you hear his voice in your heart and he calls out to you, follow me. That is the fulcrum, that is the focal point of your entire life and eternity. What will you do now at that moment? Will you do as Matthew did? Gather up his things, close down his shop, and follow. Leave your whole life behind. Leave the riches that were promised to you, the ease and the comfort that was promised to you. And will you follow or will you not? Will you hesitate? Because I believe that's something of what this man did. A man that seems to be less ignorant than the first, 
And I, can, I, 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 I read that because there appears to be, to me, a recognition in this man that if he were to truly become a follower of Christ, it would mean that he would have to leave his old life and follow Jesus. And he feels like he has this obligation he must tend to first. My father has died. Let me go bury him first. As this realization, though, takes root in his heart, this calling of Christ to follow him, he attempts to compromise and he hesitates. He does not say no, does he? Perhaps God's been calling you and you haven't said no, but you've hesitated. You are like the Israelites that Elijah spoke to and he said, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? How long are you going to limp along and hesitate? Jesus is standing there and the Spirit of God is calling out to you, follow me. You don't say no, but neither do you say yes. He says instead, let me first go and bury my father. Seems like a reasonable request, doesn't it? Doesn't that seem like a reasonable request to make? Lord, let me first go bury my father. Indeed, it was the duty of a son to ensure that his parents had a proper burial. This was a noble thing that this man was asking Jesus to wait on him for. Some balk at this and again they wonder, how could Jesus require such a thing of this man? How could he not say to him, isn't this what you and I would say? Oh, okay, sure. I get it. That's important. Go do that and then come and follow me. How many times, brethren, do we say that to the Lord? We don't say to Jesus, Lord, first let me go commit this terrible sin. And then I'll follow you. We say, Lord, I've I've got this other obligation. Surely, Lord, you understand. Surely, Lord, you would just give me just, just some time. I'm just going to hesitate. I'm not saying no. Lord, I'm not saying no, but I'm just not ready to say yes. And many people balk at this and think, what kind of a Lord would do this to, to his followers? The Lord here appears almost cruel and heartless to you and me. If we're looking with the wrong lenses, which are ours, typically, the way we look at things, Luke 9.60 says to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I want to tell you what I think are a couple of things that are the key here. As Jesus read this man's heart, I want you to first notice one word. Let me first go and bury my father. What was first in this man's heart? It wasn't following Christ. If it were following Christ, perhaps the the response would be, yes, Lord, I will follow you and maybe then ask permission. Lord, may I go? 
and bury my father, but whatever your will is, Father. And, he, and Jesus had already told him what it was. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Let the dead bury their own dead. And I know there's a long list of theologians who've got all kinds of things to say about that. I think the key here in my simple mind is he says, let me first go and bury my father. I think that is key. It was more important to this man to bury his father than it was to follow Christ. But there can be nothing more important than following Christ. Yes, even burying his father. Yes, even whatever you're thinking about in your heart right now. Whatever is is causing you to, to hesitate. Because you see, there will always always be something that will give you cause to hesitate and to delay the following of Christ. And most of those things, by the way, will seem like good, responsible things that you simply must do. And no one would expect you not to do. I believe that God gives some clarity at times that I believe the words are his. I'm not saying this is scripture. I just, this is how God brought this to me. And I want to just share it with you the way it came to me. Hell is populated by a great many people who delayed coming to Christ because they had to first do something else. But even beyond that, those of us that are saved, we're not off the hook. There are many stars and many crowns in heaven that are absent because as followers of Christ, there were things we felt we must first do before being obedient to Jesus' call in our lives. Satan doesn't care that God's not on your list of priorities. He only cares if he's actually number one. Perfectly reasonable thing. Lord, I... I, and, and by the way, the text doesn't even tell us. Was his father actually dead? Or was he going to wait for his father to die? There's no, there's no way to know for sure. It seems to me that he already was dead. It seems a weird request if he wasn't. But there's always going to be something that, can, that will threaten the place of God of being first. And there is another key idea, the second key idea in these words that I see that we must consider in order to put the demand of Jesus in its proper context. Jesus said that in lieu of burying his father, what was he supposed to do? What was the alternative? Wasn't just, no, don't bury your father. That, by the way, would have been cruel, I believe. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, No, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He was telling him, I have more important work for you to do right now. Go and tell others about Jesus, about me, about the Son, about eternity. This one that you are burying has now settled his eternal condition. There is nothing more that can be done for him. But there are people yet living 
through the grace of God that need to hear the message of the gospel. And so he says to him, no, you go, now you follow me. Because remember, Jesus had called him to do so. Follow me. This man hesitates. And he hesitates and he does not obey. And the kingdom of God is not proclaimed in his life. Has Jesus called you? Can you remember a moment in your life when it was Jesus? The Son of Man and the Son of God who lived here among us for 30 some years went to a cross and died for you, taught and gave us an example to pattern our lives by who will be the light of the city in eternity, who was the who is the epitome of love and compassion and power and might. This one, has he called you? If so, have you forsaken all to follow Christ first and before anything else? Or are you like this man called but hesitant? If so, before we finish with this third man, what are you waiting on? I want you almost, everybody's different. God speaks in ways to different people because he's created us uniquely. But the way my mind works, I would challenge you, if you're hesitating, get a notebook out and get a pen, old school. I'm not talking about typing it on a computer, though that might work. Get a notebook out and start listing your reasons for hesitating. And if you're called of God and you do know him and he's called you to some field of labor and you're hesitating, get that notebook out and write your reasons. And then I want you to separate yourself from the acuteness of the moment or from your own uh, biased view of things and just examine that list next to eternity. Next to being able to proclaim the word of God and the kingdom of God in the way that God has called you to and just see how poor your excuses and reasons are. Finally, this third man, willing but uncommitted. We can't help but notice again the word first. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. So this man in many ways seems to struggle alike with the second. There is a difference, though, I see here. This man, like the first, seems to have taken it upon himself to announce to Jesus he would follow him. Don't know that. I know that's speculation, but at least in this reading and in this context, he'd made up his mind. I'm going to become a follower of Christ. I just have this one thing I have to do first. This man's first commitment seems to be where? Christ? Again, no. His first commitment seems to be to his family and to his friends back home. To explain to them, maybe, this man is one who maybe thinks to himself, I can't commit to follow Christ just now. I need to explain first to my parents and my siblings and my friends why I am making such a decision. I have to explain myself to these people. Maybe that's in your heart. Do you You hear, you know you should follow Christ, but there is this hesitation, this lack of commitment to do so because you're actually committed to other people in your life 
before you're committed to God. There is a danger that you must be aware of if you are in this condition like this third man. And that danger is this, that when we delay, when you delay, when you delay and remove yourself from the presence of Christ in the moment when He is near, when He perhaps is even calling out to you, and you delay that and you say, wait, I've got to go talk to somebody first. There's a great danger there of you being talked out of following Christ. You're not dealing with another man or woman, a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a friend, a boss. You're dealing with the Son of God who has called all men to come after Him and to follow Him. And if you delay and say, I just need to go run this by so-and-so, you are placing yourself at great risk Satan has talked many men and women out of following Christ with the mouth of loved ones. And he's talked many of God's children from serving him fully and completely submitted and sold out to the mouths of loved ones. Jesus knows this about this man. And he says, look, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is an all in now or never everything or nothing full commitment. Don't need to run it by anybody else. Lord, I'll follow you. Whether anybody in my life gets it or not. Whether I win friends or lose friends, whether I win family or lose family, whatever that the relationships in this life, however they fall, Father, it is you that I serve first. Lord, it is you that I follow first. I'm not going to go try to talk to anybody else and get their take on my situation. I will follow you, God, and I will follow you where you lead me. And I will not allow Satan to use even those I love to distract me from that focus of following you. To follow Christ is to place a focus on it to such an extent that nothing else in our lives falls outside of that focus. At work, and it's kind of starting to lose its, its shine, this idea of multitasking. I'm sorry, it's, it's baloney. The human brain can't multitask. It can think of one thing at one time. You might be able to do a lot of things in succession, but you're never doing more than one thing at a time. And you know what the things of the Christian life that we've tried to think we can do? That we can multitask the Christian life. We can do a little bit of what God wants us to do while we do a little bit of what we want to do. And we can look at our lives in this compartmentalized way and say, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ on Sunday. I go to church. I'm a good Christian then. But then I live my life. 
You see, there's a lens of my Christianity that I see my Christianity and my following of Christ through. And then I have this pair of glasses and these lenses that I look at the rest of my life with so that the world can make sense to me. And I will tell you this, when you put on the lens of a godly character and a biblically informed mind and heart, I will grant you that this world is going to look very strange. It should. But there should be nothing in our lives that we are not looking at through the lens of I am a follower of Jesus Christ, first, foremost, all in. It's not Christ and other things, as Tozer said. It's Christ minus all other things. We can't look at the world outside of the focused view of our following of Christ, not our work. I will tell you today, if your work gets in the way between you and God, you need to get rid of your work. Our school, if your school is getting in between you and God, then you need to get rid of school. It's just that simple. Our relationships. If there's somebody in your life that is preventing you from following God, love them, care for them, be a kind to them, be a help to them, but do not let them continue to, to direct you away from the will of God in your life. Our following of Christ should serve as the lens through which we consider everything in our lives. In Jesus' words, if you don't want mine, then you shouldn't in lieu of Jesus. When Jesus says something, that's when we our ears should perk up. In 962, what does he say here? No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He's saying, nope, this is all in. You place your hands on the plow of the Christian life and you follow me and you keep your eyes straight ahead. Straight ahead. There is something to be said for looking back and being humble at our failures to recognize that when we don't trust God, we stumble. But it's time to put the hand to the plow and look ahead. Become what God wants you to be, has called you to be. Don't forget what you've learned. Put your hand to the plow and plow. Follow. Certainly this third man's better choice would have been to stay near the Lord and respond when he called. Let me first go back. wonder how many people eternally separated from God at this very moment remember the very conversation they had. Conversation that maybe went something like, you know, I was at church the other day and I really felt the Lord calling me to the mission field or I really felt the Lord calling me to salvation. And a mom, a dad, a friend, a trusted co-worker at Someone in your life that you love and trust said, boy, are you sure about that? Man, that, that'll cost you. You sure? 
And you know what? Sometimes they're talking you out of it because they know what it would mean for them. Maybe not even thinking and aware when the Lord calls, follow. Do not be as these three men, eager but ignorant, called but hesitant, willing but uncommitted. I thank the Lord for his word. Let's have a song.